Well, I did not think I would be waking up this happy on a Sunday morning, uh, the third day of 2021, but uh, here we are. Welcome back to Hang Out in the Holy Land. It is uh, Sunday, January 3rd. Uh, I'm George Eisner, joined by my co-host Gene Ross, and uh, we did not think we were going to be here under such happy circumstances this morning, did we, Gene? No, I mean, my, my optimistic pick for the game in our preview is that Ohio State won by four, and then uh, Friday happened, and, and here we are. What, what, a, what a crazy sequence of events we saw just there's so much to break down in this game and it was just like it, for Ohio State fans you got to feel just phenomenal this weekend just extra extra pep in your step really for the next week just of how how good they played and how good everything looked and just everything going on with this program it's it's fantastic yep In- injury concerns aside for a few important players this was uh this was definitely something that blew you away if you were a Buckeye fan, regardless of uh, how long you've been watching even if it's only been this season um this is you know, I, I sound very subdued, but I think it's just because I'm still kind of stupefied by the entire experience. Um, I, I very much spent really this whole season. I, I kind of figured that this uh, everything was hurtling towards another college football playoff rematch with Clemson. And uh, I didn't anticipate that to go well. Both teams, you know, I think are a little bit worse than they were last year. And uh, when you've got the backfield tandem that Clemson has in Trevor Lawrence and Travis Etienne, it stands to reason that you probably don't think your football team is going to be able to measure up. We were optimistic last year they were going to be able to, and that didn't end up being the case. So I think most people were kind of down and out going into this one. You know, people obviously wanted to win. Would have been great to see Dabo uh, eat crow and, uh, you know, everybody kind of get their comeuppance from uh, Clemson for that, you know, ranking Ohio State 11th, which uh, Ohio State fans are currently having a field day with. But it, um, yeah, really one of the more out of left field wins I think I can remember. Um, and that's coming from someone that went to the Big Ten Championship in 2014 that Cardale Jones led the Buckeyes to a uh, 59-0 win over Wisconsin in that one when he was the third-string quarterback. So I've I've been through my fair share of crazy wins. This was definitely up there with uh, the wildest I've seen as a Buckeye fan, but absolutely one I'm going to savor for a very long time. Certainly the uh, sweetest I think most people or most Ohio State fans would agree since the uh, Bama win in the Sugar Bowl in 2014. Yeah, and just the amount of like just storybook parallels to last year's game, you know, even down to, you know, Clemson had a player ejected for a targeting just like Sean Wade was last year. You had, you know, a questionable fumble that was reviewed and this time it went Ohio State's way. You know, just everything that went into this game, all the talk beforehand, everything from last year. And it just, for everything to come together how it did, it was just, you couldn't script a better story. You know, like you said, coming into this year, pretty much everything Ohio State did was gearing up for this rematch against Clemson. They got the rematch. They maybe didn't have, you know, the general, they only played six games this season. They didn't really look particularly fantastic in any of them. So coming in, you know, nobody was really picking them to win. Uh, Obviously, Justin Fields heard all the talk about himself, you know, maybe hurting his draft stock with some of the bad games he's played this year. He clearly took that to heart and played perhaps his, probably not even perhaps, that was his best game at Ohio State. He was incredible, even with like half of his ribcage. So 
All in all, you couldn't ask much more from Ohio State. It was a full team effort. Both sides of the ball looked great. Everyone, they, they pretty much got the most they could out of every player on the field, even with missing some guys with COVID. And it was just phenomenal. Like you couldn't, Ryan Day put on a master class in play calling after we, you know, questioned a little bit of what he was doing against Northwestern. He really, everything he did was with a purpose. They clearly knew how they could attack this Clemson defense. They knew how they could attack their offense. And just everything worked out exactly how they had hoped. And it resulted in a, a dominating win where Ohio State nearly dropped 50 points on one of the best teams in the country. Yeah, it was pretty funny. We spent a good chunk of last week's show lamenting uh, the tight end usage, and I think you astutely pointed out that neither Ruckert nor Farrell had uh, recorded a catch since the Rutgers game. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about how much better Day's play calling was last season with uh, just him contextualizing uh, different plays that they would eventually end up running in the game and, you know, calling 10 different things to set up one snap in the third quarter that ends up creating a touchdown. Uh, Day played an even longer game, it would seem, this season. Uh, he, he schemed the tight ends out of the second half of Ohio State's regular season and, and didn't end up using them until the time was just right in the Clemson game to the tune of uh, – one insane touchdown catch for Farrell that Fields maybe shouldn't have thrown, but it ended up as a good result, so it's hard to complain. And then obviously those uh, two other brilliant uh, touchdown passes to Rucker, one of which was more product of scheme than anything else, but the other of which was a, uh, a brilliant throw uh, back into the middle back part of the end zone. Um, just really all around great. We, I mean, and that kind of just you know, builds off into the overall, I think, reason that Ohio State won this game, which was that they they did all the things that we've been calling for this whole season that we haven't really gotten to see, whether it was the tight ends getting involved, fields knowing when to give up on the play, whether it be throwing the ball away or checking down to Trey Sermon, or uh, even, you know, taking a smart sack when he knew he was hurt and, you know, didn't want to subject himself to any more damage. He he was a lot more conservative this game when the moment called for it, and it ended up paying big benefits for Ohio State. Um, Day's play calling was obviously better. Uh, the coaching staff in general did a good job making adjustments. Uh, we saw in the beginning parts of the game, you know, what we – Feared, which was tough Borland getting man coverage on Travis Atien and Atien really exploiting that out of the backfield on wheel routes and just getting out into space on the edge and really tough not being able to adjust. And then later in the game, they, you know, corrected that and they switched to zone coverage and they started, you know, meeting the running backs out of the backfield um, at the points on their routes where the ball would be coming and they were able to, you know, create some uh, separation that resulted in a few punts for Clemson. So they, we saw second half adjustments, which we really haven't seen that much all season. We saw players get involved in ways that we really hadn't seen since the early stages of the season. And uh, Justin Fields did all the things that he needed to do to win. So really, um, you know, if it, it, it's hard, I think, to get if you if you've watched this whole season and you knew what the problems with this team were you really couldn't have gotten a better result, I think, um, considering this team's now about to go play in the national championship. I think that they answered a lot of questions that uh, people had about them, and they did it on not only one of the biggest stages, but against one of the biggest opponents, I think, that you can have in college football. So really just, you know, 
consummate performance by everyone involved. And I, uh, yeah, I really can't say enough about it. They, they, they all played their butts off on Friday. Yeah, I, I love the idea that Ryan Day just played the long con all season by not throwing to his tight ends and then just dominated Clemson with his tight ends in a game. I find that hilarious, and I hope that's exactly what happened. But it is what happened. Nonetheless, <laughs> yeah, pretty, pretty much. Like you said, though, like we, we pretty much nailed it in the preview. You know, all the things we said Ohio State had to do to be successful in this game, they did it. They used, They got the tight ends involved a lot. Uh, Ruckert and Farrell combined for three touchdowns. I thought that second touchdown to Ruckert was probably Justin Fields' best throw of the night when he split two defenders and hit Ruckert perfectly in the hands. Uh, Ruckert's my guy as a fellow Long Island native, so I'd like to see him get involved. Uh, and the checkdowns, like you said, checkdowns were a huge part of this. We have not seen Justin Fields take that checkdown really ever, and it was a big part of their offense. There was two huge third down plays where they got it over to Trey Sermon, and, and he picked up big yards. It was a third and 10 late in the third quarter in a critical spot. The play where Sermon like thought he wasn't down, even though every part of his body clearly touched the field. But he it was third and 10, and he picked up like 15 on that play. And those are just the little things in the game that lead to victory. You know, Instead of trying to force the ball downfield, you got Trey Sermon standing over there. He's playing his ass off. You just hit him in stride, and he, he can make a play. He, he beat two defenders. There was two guys there ready to take him down before the first down marker, and he beat them both and got an extra five yards past that. So he, once again, was phenomenal. And just, yeah, Fields' decision-making, we kind of talked about, you know, he was holding on to the ball too long, not going through his progressions. That was not at all the case. They were taking the short throws. He was hitting at every level, the short throws, the intermediate throws, and the deep balls. He had three incredible deep balls for touchdowns in that game, all on the money. He was reading the defense. Uh, the run game, like we said, if they had to get that established, it open up the play action. And on the Jamison Williams touchdown, the, the last touchdown they scored, if you watch that back, the, the the safety bites on the Trey Sermon play action so hard, he takes like five steps in. And the second Justin Fields sees that, he's just unloading it to Jamison Williams because he knows there is not a chance in the world that you could you could beat the fastest player on Ohio State's roster in one-on-one coverage. So all those things together, you know, it was game plan, it was execution, it was everything. They did all these aspects to kind of kind of get – Brent Venable's defense completely off. I mean, they put up 600 yards on a one of the best defenses in the country. Justin Fields had as many touchdown passes as he did in completions, and he had that one bad pick that was kind of tipped to start the third quarter. It wasn't a good throw, even if it wasn't tipped, but either way, like it was really his only bad throw of the night. He also, I think he had one overthrow to Olave on a deep ball when he was open, but other than that, I mean, he was perfect and he was playing hurt. You could clearly tell, you know, even he said after the game, every time he released the ball, it, he was in pain. Uh, he was like limping off to the sidelines every play. He was just a warrior in the game. He almost had like another one of his, as we saw last year against uh, Michigan, his Heisman moment where he got injured, came back, and then fired a touchdown to Garrett Wilson. He had a, a similar play in this game where he the, the first play back after he got hurt, he hit Garrett, uh, Chris Olave in the corner of the end zone for a touchdown. So the guy's a trooper. He's a tough dude. Hopefully he's uh, good to go for the national championship. I, I would imagine if he was seriously injured, we would probably know by now. But nonetheless, he's probably still hurting. So hopefully he's good to go. And uh, I'm looking forward to that game now. It's uh, There's a lot to look forward to now. I, I came into Clemson without many expectations. And now after watching that team, I, I think they could beat anyone if they play like that again. The the thing that kind of concerns me about Fields is I you know most quarterbacks are wearing flak jackets now, particularly uh, mobile ones that know they're going to take shots like he did. And uh, when he came back in the game, you saw he still wasn't wearing one. He had like kind of a half pad job over the part of his rib cage that did get hit. So I I I, I didn't feel great about seeing that. And uh, I'll be honest, there. There are a lot of surprises for me in this game, but I think the biggest surprise for me was that they let Justin Fields stay in. And I really, I wondered like how, 
I, I wonder how responsible the decision was to do that. I, I, he, I mean, he literally took like a missile into the the side of his back ribs, and even you know, dialing back to that play itself for a bit, I um, I, I didn't see a lot of sympathy for you know, Clem the for Skalski and the Clemson fans when that happened, and I do like. I think that that play once again presented a side of the targeting rule in terms of something that needs to be discussed with with quarterbacks getting hit because in the same way that you had Trevor Lawrence last year ducking his head into the contact that Sean Wade had with him that got Sean Wade thrown out, you had Fields spinning into the contact this time that you know, Skalski initiated, but you can also make the argument that at the angle Skalski was going at, uh, Fields, you know, wasn't going to, um, you know, take a direct shot from the head, even though Skalski did kind of dip his crown a little bit. Um, so I, I, I kind of felt for them on that. I didn't really think that he needed to be ejected for that. I just kind of thought it was an unfortunate bang, bang play. Obviously, in wake of what happened with Wade in last year's game, for a lot of Ohio State fans at the time, it probably felt like, oh, well, it couldn't have happened to a nicer bunch of guys. But I, I, I still think that this, you know, this rule, unfortunately, um, somewhat, perhaps not to the same extent that it did last year, but we're seeing targeting once again, having a taint of this game and a few other ones um, in the postseason. So I, I, I hope that that's something that they look at going forward is, you know, what what degree of responsibility does the quarterback have in terms of initiating um, the contact in those bang-bang plays? Because when you get high-profile players like this that get ejected for, you know, something where it's really because the other player, redir- it, the ball carrier redirected their momentum, Um you know, it doesn't really feel fair to punish the defense for that. So I hope that that's something they look at. Um, I hope they give a good look over at uh, Fields' rib cage too, because I really don't know how that's doing. But uh, you know, his thumb held up at least over the course of the game. So, yeah, I think we've talked on the show how much of a mess uh, the targeting rule is in college, and obviously, I, I agree with you. I don't think I'm mean, Skalski. Obviously, was not trying to hurt Justin Fields on that play. He was just trying to make a tackle. Um, I, I do think it was targeting, obviously, by the letter of the law. He led with his helmet, and even though it wasn't helmet to helmet, he was clearly going in for like the spear tackle, and he didn't mean to hit him where he did, but that's just how it, it wound up. But really, I mean, that rule's also in place to, to save the defenders and kind of encourage them to tackle better, because if you I saw a video on Twitter of a side-by-side of that tackle and the same tackle that Ryan Shazier ended his career with the Steelers with that really injured him. And it was like the same hit. Cause like your neck is like, you're hitting your spine. Like that's a, that's not a safe tackle for the defender either. So that rule is really put in place to keep both sides of the ball safer. And so obviously, you know, you don't want to see a guy ejected for that, but at the same time, you know, that's, they're doing it for the safety of the players that like Scalsi could have gotten really hurt on that play as well. In addition to how hurt Justin Fields was. So he was lucky to just have no ill effects on that. But yeah, I mean, targeting, targeting is a mess. Hopefully Justin Fields is okay. Uh, another parallel, just w- including the targeting, obviously there was the Wade one last year, but it's funny that, you know, another parallel dating back to the last game was, uh, Justin Fields last throw in the 2019 festival was an interception. And now you have this game where, uh, Trevor Lawrence's last throw ever in college will be an interception. And even though it was a play that, you know, I thought might've been a Clemson touchdown and they reviewed it and still said it was an interception. I thought he, the guy kind of came down both feet and then they knocked the ball out, but either way, it's an interception on the stat sheet. And so Trevor Lawrence's last 
throw ever in college will be picked off. And so that's just another feather in the cap for Ohio State fans that, you know, another a flip of the script from last year's game. Well, I'm a, I'm a Chicago Bears fan, so I've got a very vivid memory of uh, the, the Calvin Johnson catch at the end of uh, one of their their games from his career where he came down in the end zone. And I mean, it was pretty obviously a touchdown catch, but because he placed the ball on the ground too quickly, they reviewed it and they overturned the, what was an obvious touchdown catch. So ever since that experience, I've kind of always, you know, been had my perspective, I guess, altered in terms of acknowledging that the refs want to see a lot of control of the football when you're coming down with a touchdown catch I know that this is, you know, comparing pro to college a bit, but point is they're looking for longer than just, you know, a half second where you come down with possession and then, you know, are still in. So I felt reasonably confident that it wasn't just going to be enough for the Clemson receiver to come down with a toe and then, you know, get the ball slapped away very cleanly in the next, uh, you know, instance. And then it gets, you know, uh, Picked on the deflection by seven banks and taken back for a little bit. But I so I, I felt reasonably good about that. I didn't think that that was nearly as ambiguous as last year where you had the Clemson defender take about three or four steps and uh, you didn't you didn't have the refs overturning a call in which there was pretty ample evidence for upholding the original call. Uh, in this case, you just have them kind of standing with you know what they had originally ruled, which was a pick. Um, I'm not sure how much of a difference the points in that scenario really would have made anyway. Um, it felt like the game had kind of gotten away from Clemson at that point. But in any event, I look forward to their fans complaining about that until these two teams meet again in the playoff a year or two from now. Um, but in any event, they um, I thought the best parallel, you know, if we're going to talk about things, and, and I don't even know if you would really call it a parallel because it's more of a, a, a redemptive arc, I guess, than something going alongside the the previous memory. But I, I I loved seeing, and it was the the play of the game for me was Fields's fifth touchdown pass. Um, you know, just kind of had that full redemptive arc where they missed. Um, you know, Fields missed Olave on the broken route at the end of the Fiesta Bowl last year. Um, that ended up, you know, being the last play of their season on offense. And then this year, you know, they're already have a pretty decent lead. And then what, you know, not necessarily the kill shot that ended up being the Jameson Williams TD, but what ended up putting them, you know, very comfortably ahead was a, you know, 50, 60 yard bomb from fields to Olave where Olave outruns Nolan Turner, who was the guy, the DB that made the interception to end the game last year. And you just see him trailing Olave by, you know, a decent five yards. Fields puts the ball exactly where it needs to be. Olave catches it in stride and just, you know, skips into the back of the end zone to celebrate and put up a big O, whether that's for Ohio State or Olave. You'll have to interpret that on your own. But uh, that was seeing that really just I've wondered a lot this season how much playing football has been worth it for everybody involved. And the thing that I just keep trying to remember is how hard all of these players have worked to not only have a season, but have a season in wake of all the crazy things that are going on while there's a guillotine hanging over it every day where it could just be taken away at a moment's notice and all the work is for naught. And, you know, to think about how devastated, you know, Fields, Olave, and all those players that were in the Fiesta Bowl were 
uh, at the result last year and for them to work through everything that they have to got to the to get to this point that they were on Friday and then to play the game that they did and for Fields and Olave to have that moment where they have that big connection that holds a big impact in the course of that game. I mean, I, I, I just I feel so great for those guys. And, you know, I I, I feel a little bit like, you know, obviously they want to win. Um, but for me, from a fan perspective, it does feel like last year's already been redeemed. Whatever kind of happens from here, I think, is just gravy. Um, it would be great to see them win a title. But with all the crazy things that are, that are going on, um, I'm just really happy as a fan to see that they got the redemption that they wanted from last year. So I kind of hope that they're not emotionally spent after this game. But, um, you know, this... I think this is definitely a win that uh, people are going to feel great about for a long time, and it's a win that they definitely uh, deserved given everything that's happened. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know if there's any player that took last year's loss as hard as Chris Olave did just because of how the game ended. You know, they're saying in, in this offseason, you know, for a couple of days after the game, he wasn't like eating or sleeping because he felt like he let the team down because he broke the route off, even though it obviously wasn't his fault that they lost. There were a lot of things that led up to that moment. But at the same time, you know, then he comes back in this game, plays phenomenally. He had six catches for 132 yards and two touchdowns. He was their leading receiver. And it was I, w- I was very happy for Chris Olave to just have that full arc of, you know, coming back. And especially after he had to miss the Big Ten Championship with a COVID case, whether that was for contact tracing or a positive test, you know, he was clearly upset that he had to miss that game. It clearly affected Ohio State's offense. And then having him back out there and him playing so well was just great for everyone involved. And just in terms of the passing game in general, I mean, we've talked all year about how Ohio State's been just a a two-man receiving core with Olave and Wilson. But in this game, I mean, uh, Justin Fields spread it around. He had uh, seven different receivers with at least two catches in that game. And so it was good to see, you know, Ohio State really open up the offense. And I think that made life a lot harder on the Clemson defense. And if we're talking about opening up the offense, I mean, Trey Sermon is a man possessor. Now, has there ever been a player that that you've seen in college football that has had an in-season like revitalization as much as Trey Sermon has. Like he is a, we were talking early in the year, whether or not this kid deserved carries at all in this offense. And now he's Eddie George and Ezekiel Elliott. I don't know what to think of this man. He had 193 yards and a touchdown against Clemson after his 330 yard performance against Northwestern. And he's running with his hair on fire. He's running through people. He's making crazy cuts in the backfield. He's hitting every hole. And I, I just don't, what's gotten into Trey Sermon? Well, I think I think a big thing is that the offensive line is playing uh, miles ahead of where they were earlier this year. Um, we, you know, it's people have been Wyatt Davis has gotten a lot of positive attention, I think, but I, I think that relative to his last two seasons, he was kind of not doing the most impressive work earlier in this year, as he's kind of, uh, you know, the years got on, he's definitely picked it up and gotten a lot better. Um, Josh Myers has been, you know, very crucial for them. And, uh, he's, he's definitely kind of rounded the entire unit into form as the season's gone on. Uh, Thayer Munford has, um, maybe been the most impressive of those three. I think, um, he probably came into the season, uh, among the returning offensive linemen. He was probably the least heralded, I think, but he's definitely been the most impressive along with Nicholas Petit Frere, who the two of them together have been, you know, one of the best tackle tandems in uh, college football this season. I mean, they've both been fantastic. And um, we've been critical of Harry Miller, but uh, he he didn't play in the uh, Clemson game last week. And I thought Matthew Jones filled in very admirably. I think he only had one penalty uh, the entire game. 
he did get hurt at one point, and I know that you know they kind of had to get a little creative with their linemen in general. I know uh, Paris Johnson, who I believe is a tackle, was playing left guard for them at one point, and then ended up switching to right guard when Wyatt Davis got hurt. And he, he you know, true freshman, and even he filled in admirably and was opening holes for Sermon and pancaking guys uh, when he had to come in in the second half. And uh, I mean, for for that kind of talent and effectiveness on the line to run that deep when you're able to cycle in out of position guys that can come in and know what to do and make plays on high level Clemson defenders like that I mean you could drive trucks through the holes that they were making for Sermon on uh, on Sunday or on uh, Friday rather so I uh, you know I wonder how much of that metamorphosis um you know, is owed to the running back versus the offensive line kind of finally figuring it out. But there's no question that Sermon has just gotten more confident as a runner and just looked better and better each game this year. And, I mean, he didn't put up as many, you know, he didn't put up 330 rushing yards in this game, but he I, he arguably looked even better in this game than he did against Northwestern. He posted, He still ended up, I think, with close to 250 scrimmage yards on the day. He had... As we were talking about earlier, a bunch of checkdowns he caught from fields that, you know, he was able to slip out of one or two tackles that would have stopped him short of the sticks that ultimately ended up being first downs for Ohio State. And, I mean, he he kept – he just has this slippery running nature where he's going to fall forward and going to get you an extra two or three yards on top of whatever he's getting out of the hole every time. The the crazy thing about this is that was probably the most difficult test that Ohio State could have gotten anywhere in college football this year, and they absolutely mauled Clemson from the first drive of the game. Um, you know, they had all four of their returning defensive linemen that played in the game last year. I mean, these guys are not slouches. They're expected to, you know, you come to Clemson and you play – in that front seven of the defense, you're expected to be an NFL caliber prospect by the time you leave there. And they were just absolutely having their way with them yesterday. And Bama, I, I, they're, you know, for all the prowess Bama has on offense, they are, they are not the same. They've gotten better in the second half of this year on defense, but they are not the stalwarts that they used to be. And they just don't present as much of a challenge up front as Clemson does or did. And I, it has to make you feel very – we'll, and we'll talk on you know a show that we'll have later this week plenty in detail about what to expect in the Bama game. But you've got to feel great if you're an Ohio State fan after seeing that game, not only because Sermon's gotten better in every game so far, but mainly because the offensive line just got far and away the most difficult test that they would have gotten from anybody this year – and they absolutely kicked its ass. It's it, the sky is the limit now for this rushing attack heading into the national championship, and it'll be really interesting to see what they come up with. Yeah, this this offensive line was dominant against Clemson, both sides of the line, really. And we'll get to individual performances later on in this podcast. But yeah, the guys like Matt Jones and Paris Johnson Jr. both deserve huge shout, uh, shout outs for what they were able to do as backups coming into this this magnitude of a game and, and performing how they did. They both played phenomenally. The line as a whole was incredible. They were getting like five yards of push on every play. We heard all leading up to this game how good Clemson's defensive line was. And in both run blocking and pass blocking, they really didn't do anything. Justin Fields had a clean pocket all day. 
and they're opening up lanes that you could drive a truck through for Trey Sermon, like you said. So they they played their hearts out. And, you know, talking about both sides of the line, switching over to defense, Ohio State's defensive line played really well as well. They might not have had, you know, a bunch of sacks, but they got a ton of pressure on Trevor Lawrence. And this is all without Zach Harrison. Zach Harrison and Tyler Friday, who were both out for COVID, whether it was positive tests or contact tracing. And and guys like Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith both stepped up. They were great off the edge. Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai were their usual selves up the middle, just completely dominant. Uh, Ohio State shut down Clemson's run game for really the second time in a row, except this time they were able to corral Trevor Lawrence. Once again, Ohio State held ETN under 50 rushing yards. He had 10 carries for 32 yards. And after allowing over 100 yards rushing to Trevor Lawrence last year, he had 10 carries in this game for negative 8 yards. And obviously some of that is sacks, so I don't know what his sack-adjusted rushing yards were. But he was not nearly as much of a threat on the ground as he was last year. And I think Ohio State really keyed in on that after what he was able to do to them in that Fiesta Bowl. And they were the defensive line all the way back through the back seven where just everyone was on the top of their game. Free Justin Hilliard, man. I'm telling you. That that guy, it feels like he plays maybe a quarter of the total snaps, and I feel like every third play he's making a tackle in the backfield or doing – he's doing something. I mean, they you – know, it really felt – I don't think it's a coincidence that when they started slowly phasing him into the game is when Clemson's offensive momentum slowly started to break down. Because uh, he he just w- he he has a knack for just finding one of these plays on almost every drive where he's just going to mess the momentum up for the other team, and that and I mean sometimes that alone is enough to just you know derail a team into messing up on three snaps and having to go into a punt. Um, and it, we saw it a lot in the game. I. I, I it felt very if you've if you've watched a few other games this year from Clemson it's just it felt very uncharacteristic of them particularly in the second half I know that they're not used to playing from behind but you you could really tell I think in the second half of that game that they were missing their main offensive play caller um, because even when they were down like two or three touchdowns they were still trying to establish kind of a read option presence with Lawrence and ATN or just get some kind of respectable ground game, you know, in front of the defense to try to set up, I guess, some of their other plays to get back in. They just were not playing aggressive enough to get themselves back in the game. And it it ended up costing them pretty dearly. The, and, you know, and it's understandable for that to be on offense given they were missing their main play caller, but they, they it felt very uncharacteristic on defense too. They did not blitz fields as much as they should have. I mean, they, they've done a really good job all year of calling really sophisticated, difficult to diagnose like blitz schemes and packages that you know, resulted in a lot of sacks for them. And Ohio State was not shy about throwing the ball in this game. They very much in the early stages wanted Sermon to be the guy to get themselves going. And he ultimately, you know, ended up setting up a lot of the success that they had through the year thanks to utilizing play action. But it, they, the key to this for Clemson was always going to be making Fields feel uncomfortable when he does have to throw. And they just did not do a good enough job of sending guys after him in this game to do that, which was very atypical. I mean, they, you know, I'm sure Herb Street mentioned it plenty on, on the broadcast, but uh, Venables is a very good defensive coordinator. The guy knows what he's doing. 
I mean, she, I don't know how many assistants make north of $2 million every year to, you know, scheme out a football game, but he certainly got to be one of the only ones. And he just, for whatever reason, they were too conservative with Fields in this game. And when you give Fields time to diagnose what's going on, he's usually going to make the right decision. It's when guys get sent after him that people start to have issues. Now, I don't know how Bama does in terms of you know sending guys after the quarterback. I, I know they've given up plenty of points this year. I don't really know how they're doing in terms of pass rush, so I'll look forward to looking into that. But I know that there are not a lot of teams that do it better than Clemson. And uh, for Ohio State to handle them the way that they did uh, in this game, I thought was very impressive. I don't think Fields... You know, the one sack that I remember him taking, he was just trying to go down early to protect his ribs. Uh, Otherwise, he was very good about taking off when he needed to or checking down or throwing the ball away. I mean, if he played like that every game, I think he'd be without question the best uh, quarterback in college football. It's just a matter of seeing him consistently, you know, recognize that he's not going to make every play every time and hit the home run on every pitch. So it'll be interesting to see if it carries over to the Bama game. But um, I don't think Ohio State can rely on Bama coaching themselves out of the game in the way that Clemson kind of did in this one. Yeah, and you would think, when, especially with a guy playing as hurt as Fields was, you would dial up even more blitzes to just make him really uncomfortable. And we just didn't see that from Brent Venables, which was pretty shocking. They, they blitzed way less in this game than they did like all year in, in a normal game. So it was, it was odd to see, especially with, like you said, how you know the film is out on how Justin Fields has struggled with the pressure this year. And then on the flip side, you know, on the other side of the ball... Ohio State was able to get like pretty good pressure on Trevor Lawrence without blitzing. You know, there was a few plays where they sent in someone like Pete Werner. There was one play in specific where like Pete Werner was like half a second away from the sack, but he did hit Trevor Lawrence and forced a bad throw. So they they got really good pressure from pretty much everywhere. And yeah, doubling back to what you said before, Justin Hilliard has been incredible for this defense these last two weeks. He made a lot of good plays in the in the Big Ten Championship, and he made another bunch of good plays on Friday. There was one play in particular that really stood out to me where it was, uh, it was a third down play, and it was a speed option they tried to run with Lawrence and Etienne. And Lawrence started with the ball running to his right, and one of the other linebackers kind of got in his way, so he pitched over to Etienne. And Justin Hilliard was right there. It was like I think it was third and two, and Justin Hilliard was right there. Made a great open field tackle to stop him in his tracks, and they they forced a punt there. And it's just plays like that that have really stood out to me. He's been very sound tackling. He seems like he's always in the right spot. He's been good in both the pass and the run game. And so he has been a very valuable member of this defense, seemingly out of nowhere. You know, the guy's had, he's had a tough career. He's had a ton of injuries throughout his career. Uh, he was a former five star prospect that's just really never gotten to get into any sort of rhythm. He just keeps getting hurt and it, it's tough to see. But now he's, he maybe he'll play himself into a future NFL draft pick coming up because he is playing lights out these past few games and, and he's looked really good. And then just behind him, I thought the secondary played one of their better games this year. Obviously, Sean Wade struggled a bit again. Uh, they really kind of picked on him a lot in this game. He had a really some some plays where he just looked completely out of sorts. He let up a late touchdown where he got his ankles just toasted like twice in a row. But other than that, I mean, they were really sound in the back. I didn't really get a good look of what they were doing with their safeties. I think they had Proctor and like Williamson sometimes back there at safety. I didn't really see much of Marcus Hooker in this game. I don't know if I just missed him when I was like covering the game or whatnot, but I don't really know what they did with their safeties, but they did. They ran some zone that really uh, kind of confused Clemson at times. There was one play in particular where they were trying to hit ETN out of the backfield and Ohio State was in a zone and they just completely ate it up and just stuff like that. I mean, it was a good scheme by Kerry Combs 
And uh, I think they really just they they all played well. We had we had a lot of concerns about the secondary against a passing offense like Clemson's, and I thought they did a really good job. So, coming into this game, you know, I was joshing you a little bit about uh, Fields being the best quarterback in school history, but I think that after a performance like this, he certainly. Uh, put himself back uh, firmly in the conversation for that between him and uh, JT Barrett and possibly one or two other guys. Um, but, you know, I think, I think that the script is still out on that. And certainly the, the next game um, is going to be a big determinant of whether or not uh, he is able to assume that role. But in terms of right now, um, you know, just kind of thinking about all time great, you know, performances where I guess, where does Fields' game rank for you itself? And then in terms of just wins that Ohio state football has had, do you think that this is one of the best? Well, in terms of Fields as like a, the, the top Ohio state quarterback ever, I, I think that if he, if he plays similarly to how he did against Clemson against Bama and they win a national title, I think it's, it's, it's not even close that Justin Fields assumes that role as the greatest Ohio state quarterback ever. If he, he brings home the rings, uh, in terms of his performances, I think this was his best for sure. Um, Ohio state quarterback performances. This has to be up there. Uh, one other performance by another quarterback that really stands out to me is the, uh, the JT Barrett game against Penn State, I think it was 2017, where they he was perfect in the fourth quarter and they came back. That's one of those you know all time performances, but by an Ohio State quarterback. But yeah, I mean this was this was definitely up there. It, it would to be to be playing injured and to put up as many touchdowns as you have incompletions, throwing for 385 yards against one of the top defenses in the country. I mean he was he was all you could ask for from a quarterback. And this was the Justin Fields that we saw in 2019. You know, very little mistakes, always making the right decisions. And we didn't see as much of that this year. He was kind of, I don't know if he was just kind of forcing it to try to bump up his Heisman stats in a, in a year where he knew he wasn't going to play as many games as other guys. But whatever it was, he was clearly, you know, pushing it a little bit. And in this game, he just seemed relaxed. He said coming into this, you know, this was one of the games where he, he hadn't prepared for a game like this ever in his career as much as he, like, had, had going into this one. So I think he was just ready to go. He wanted to avenge last year's loss. There was so much motivation going into this, both from himself and for the team. And I, I do think this is one of the better performances we've seen from a quarterback in a while. I mean, obviously, you know, Dwayne Haskins had some big games. JT Barrett had a bunch of big games. But th- this was a, a very impressive effort against a team of this magnitude in a game that that meant as much as this one did. No, it definitely felt like he went out and won this. Um, I mean, my favorite moment of his career so far was that moment in the Michigan game last year where he tweaked his knee and we were all waiting with bated breath to see what would happen to Fields. And uh, he comes in a few plays later on the same drive, and uh, his first passing attempt, he delivers that strike to the back of the end zone. Um, you know, just absolutely crazy moment. Didn't necessarily need to come back in at that point, but wanted the kill shot against Michigan, and it kind of just spoke to you know the competitor that he is. Um, and you know, we I harp a lot on the guy for, you know, thinking he can make every play every time. But, I mean, the truth is, and, I mean, they even point this out on the broadcast when it comes up when he makes, you know, wrong decisions like that, that when you're that talented and you can, you know, dodge three sack attempts as if you're in the matrix and then run for a 20-yard touchdown, um, you know, when you have that level of ability, it stands to reason why you would, you know, operate as a player like that. 
Um, and I thought that this game was a much further extrapolation of that warrior mentality that Fields has. You know, he basically got into a car accident when he got hit by Skalski, and uh, he was not very shy at all about, you know, showcasing how hurt he was. We could see it nearly every time he was moving. It, it even, he was wincing when he was handing the ball off to Sermon even. I mean, he just did not look comfortable moving around. There was a shot of him trying to, like, get on the exercise bike and, like, just barely could get on the seat in clear pain. And it was just like, this dude, this dude's power. We even forgot, like, I forgot about the thumb halfway through the game that was bothering him coming in because of how bad his ribs were hurting. And this dude's all banged up and just putting on a show out there. It was crazy. Yeah, I he, I mean, it just, to to suck it up and play through that is just insane. I, I... As I said earlier, if I were, you know, Ryan Day, I I probably would have not felt great about putting him back out there just because of how much he was showcasing how much he was hurt. But I mean, for that guy to, you know, tell for that guy to tell you that he's going to suck it up and go back in and play and then, you know, deliver the bombs that he did to Olave and Jamison Williams, I mean, on bad ribs, I mean, you're. You know, you're having to get so much movement and torque with your your torso when you're throwing a football like that. I can't even imagine how you know how much he must have been grimacing in those moments. But he, you know, he battled through all of it. And I, I guess all we can hope now is that what the week and a half that they have before uh, Monday, the 11th, is enough for him to you know f- rest up and feel good. Um, but I, I will say based on what we saw last year, it certainly seems like a knee injury is more of a detriment to him than, you know, something to his torso or on his, his throwing hand. So the fact that we saw him in this game consistently look to run when things broke down, as opposed to trying to extend the play in the backfield, um, or just throw the ball away. I mean, if he if he didn't have Trey Sermon on the check down, he was pretty aggressively looking to sprint forward, and that's not something we've necessarily seen from him outside of the red zone. So if he's not dealing with any leg injuries and he's feeling good about his mobility, um, obviously you want to see him slide so that he doesn't get into more of those Skalski situations. But you know, when he when he's actively using his mobility to keep the defense honest, and he feels good about being able to take off. I mean, he's an exponentially more dangerous player. Um, so I, I just we, I, I think we saw the best version of Justin Fields on Friday. Um, I definitely think it was, you know, as you alluded to, um, that JT Barrett fourth quarter performance against Penn State's going to live on forever. But um, in terms of an overall game, it's hard to get better than what we saw from Fields on Saturday. And uh, yeah, just. Just hope he can get uh, patched up and keep it together for the next game, because um, it would be it would be great to see an encore performance. Yeah, and you you nailed it in our last show. I gave you an over under for carry attempts for Justin Fields. I think I said fourteen or fifteen, and you convincingly said under. He only had eight carries in this game, but he had forty two yards. He averaged five point three a carry. And yeah, he did. He he made the right decisions. He wasn't standing around the pocket. He was either if the play wasn't there that they wanted, he was either hitting the check down or he was running forward. He wasn't running around in circles in the backfield trying to make a play deep. He was he was getting the ball out and or he was moving. And so it was good to see. And you know you don't obviously uh, 
You don't want to see him taking a bunch of hits. He was getting out of bounds, except for the, you know, the, obviously the Skalski hit. But there was very few plays where he was taking some big shots. He had one really nice run down the sideline where he eluded some guys and kind of got a little bit of hit, but he was going out of bounds, so it wasn't anything crazy. But, yeah, I thought, I, obviously, he he was incredible. He That was probably his best performance. He's had an Ohio State jersey, even if ESPN's graphics still have him in a Georgia jersey. But, yeah, he was, there's, there, you could, we could talk for hours about how good Justin Fields was. And we just, you know, like you said, hopefully he's good to go for the next game and we, we see a repeat performance performance in the national championship game absolutely well we would be um we'd be remiss if we didn't wrap up with uh with this final topic and uh i'm sure this has been on your mind gene uh it's certainly been on mine since the game ended and i've been dying to talk to you about it um tough borland was named defensive mvp of this game do we do we know who voted on this award and uh how, how do you feel about that <laughs> Yeah, uh, program favorite, Tough Borland, was the defensive MVP of the game. And honestly, I I think it kind of just came down to, like, it was such a full-team performance by Ohio State's defense, and there wasn't really one standout player to name. So they just kind of gave it to Tough Borland as, like, the captain of the defense. I feel like that's kind of how it went. I mean, he didn't play bad. He had one play. The the Clemson's first drive. (laughs) I don't know if he played a single third down. (laughs) (laughs) It's also true. I think he had six tackles. Uh, pull up the stats here. Yeah, he had he had uh eight total tackles here, four solos according to the the stat broadcast stats. So he was third on the team behind Wade and Werner. But um, yeah, I think that was more of just like a captain of the defense thing. I don't think he really did anything that stood out. He had the one play on the first drive where they ran a wheel route and he was way out of position. They let up like fifteen or so yards to ETN. But other than that, he he played fine. He wasn't bad by any stretch of the imagination. But yeah, I think it was just like it was kind of hard to pinpoint one guy to give it to if anything i i would have leaned more towards either like a justin hilliard or a pete werner or maybe even one of the defensive tackles just because of how well they played throughout the game but there was really just there wasn't any one big play i guess maybe togei with the forced fumble uh could have gotten it or, or jonathan cooper with his sack and his forced fumble one of those guys but there was just so many guys that played well that i think they just kind of defaulted to the captain on that one i don't know if like i don't think he made a play it was definitely a team effort but i felt like there were at least four other players that had visibly better games including werner who it felt like it felt like every tackle borland had in this game was just him cleaning up a tackle attempt that pete werner initiated and uh you know whether you want to give it to werner or hilliard or jonathan cooper uh, there were at least three different players on Ohio State that I thought had visibly better impacts in this game than Borland did. That it was just absolutely stupefying to me that the whoever was deciding on these awards just punted and said we might as well just give it to the defensive captain because you know we we basically didn't watch the football game. We're tasked with deciding the defensive MVP, <laughs> so it was it was just very perplexing to me. Yeah, I don't know if they ask like the coaching staff who they want to give it to. Like, cause then I could imagine them giving it to Tough because like we know they love him and he's obviously important for like calling plays and getting the defense in the right spot, even if he himself isn't always in the right spot. But I, I could see that being the case. I don't know who votes on it, but I I wouldn't have picked Tough Borland. I don't I don't have any problem with what he did. I thought he played well. You know, we 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 crap on Tough Borland a lot on this podcast. I didn't think he did anything particularly bad, but like you said, he also wasn't on the field a lot, so it's it's hard when that happens. But you know. I don't think anybody really played bad on that side of the ball outside of a few uh, mishaps by Sean Wade in the secondary. Well, I'm going to petition for a re- uh, recount, but until that happens, um, obviously we've got the national championship to look forward to. Uh, not 
we're recording this on Sunday the 3rd, so it won't be this coming Monday, but the following one, the night of the 11th, Ohio State will take on Alabama for the first time since the Sugar Bowl in 2014, which obviously uh, resulted in Ohio State win and featured a signature performance from future All-Pro running back Ezekiel Elliott in that one. We'll see who ends up being the star of the game for Ohio State in uh, this latest installment. Uh, It'll certainly be interesting to watch i don't know gene are they going to have decided the heisman trophy by the time that game happens so will we know which bama teammate is uh holding that award before the national championship yes i believe they're doing that on tuesday the tuesday night january 5th um but ohio state will, is looking to become the first uh number 11 team to win the national <laughs> title so that'll be fun to look forward that'll to be incredible i saw a funny tweet i wish i could credit who it was but they said uh dabo sweeney didn't say that ohio state was the number 11 team he meant they would be playing on the 11th i i don't know i feel like that's giving dabo too much credit uh for you know thinking too far ahead um he clearly didn't have much foresight or he wouldn't have gassed up this buckeye team uh by you know ranking them where he did but I want to mention that, too, before we wrap up. In Dabo's post-game press conference, they asked him about it, obviously, because they had to. And uh, he said that he didn't think that it was much motivation to the other team. And then if you looked at Twitter, almost every single player on Ohio State's roster tweeted something along the lines of like, oh, yeah, we're number 11. Well, how is that? And so I don't know what he thinks goes on when you put something like that into the public eye. But clearly Ohio State was motivated by his comments, and that was very much fuel to the fire for the Buckeyes. Well, ignorance is bliss. If he if he thinks it's working for him, just uh, you know let him let him keep believing that that's going to pay off for them. It's uh, it's the same mentality I've adopted with uh, Michigan uh, keeping uh, offering Jim Harbaugh new contracts, but. I can guarantee you that Nick Saban will not rank Ohio State 11th this week. I, I would, I would bet my Nick Saban might actually say that Ohio State's the greatest team of all time, just to try to do like the reverse of what Dabo did and get Ohio State, you know, feeling good about themselves. I, I believe Saban ranked them fifth, so he also did not think they should have been in the playoff. But he was much more, you know, coy about it than Dabo was. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, what's going to happen this week is the media is going to ask him about it, and then Saban's going to throw a temper tantrum and be like, "Why are you asking me about this crap? We got a you know national championship to worry about," and you know he's just going to deflect. But I'm I'm sure someone in the media will call him out about that this week, and it'll be interesting to see how he uh, squirms or handles it versus how Dabo did, which was just to double down and be a, a giant idiot. So you saw how that paid off for Clemson. We're, uh, we're going to wrap up with that. We're going to go bask in this win for the rest of the weekend. Uh, certainly one of the f- great way to start 2021 and one of the, the biggest feel-good wins I think Ohio State fans have had uh, for some time. So congrats to the Buckeyes for finally getting the, uh, the paper orange tiger off their back. Uh, first win over Clemson in school history. Uh, feels great for everybody involved. And uh, not quite done yet, though. Eyes are on the prize for uh, next Monday night. So we will uh, be back later this week for what I believe will be our next to last show of the season uh, to give you a quick preview of the Bama game. Uh, We should have a little bit more of analysis from how Ohio State succeeded uh, in their semifinal game as well. And we should have a nice preview of what to expect in the national championship based off that. So for Gene Ross, I'm George Eisner. Thank you for listening to Hang Out in the Holy Land. And uh, we'll be back in your ear later this week. Go Bucks! Take care. <laughs>